This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone. Welcome back to Rewritten Me. Australia's podcast about reconstruction after a mastectomy. In our first episode with Dr. Joe Dusseldorp, we talked about strategies for Dieppe reconstruction. Now, strategy seems like a very businessy term, but it's really about how you and your team are going to approach your reconstruction to optimize the results that are best for you. Surgeons are obviously an integral part of your team. However, there are also some things that we as patients can do to help support our recovery from surgery. And one of those things is nutrition, what we eat. Now, not everyone is going to have time to prepare for surgery as much as they'd like, as it can happen very quickly after diagnosis. And not everyone may have the time to prepare the food they want for surgery. It's about doing what you can when you can. But we might not know what we need to do. And that's when allied health professionals like nutritionists can help us. So today's pod is about sharing evidence-based information about nutrition and healing that can help you choose how you approach supporting your recovery with your food choices in a way that works for you. And that's why I'm especially excited to be talking to Associate Professor Teresa Mitchell-Patterson. Teresa is a lecturer and New South Wales Clinical Supervisor for Nutritional Medicine Torrens University. She has a naturopathic and nutritional clinical history spanning 30 years and is a fellow and ambassador for the Australian Traditional Medicine Association. For the last 12 years, she has been practicing in an integrative medicine clinic in Sydney. And for transparency, I have seen Teresa as a client and as a patient. Teresa also lends her expertise to the Bowel Cancer Consumer Panel, reviews journal articles, and has been the nutritionist for Bowel Cancer Australia for the past 11 years. She was a member of the steering committee for the Consumer Health Forum, helping shape Australia's fruit and vegetable intake. She has written chapters in evidence-based naturopathic texts on integrative naturopathy in the field of cancer care and was awarded the Bioceuticals Inaugural Naturopathic Award of Excellence in Practice, Integrative Medicine in 2016. Today, we'll be talking to Teresa specifically about nutrition, how food or nutrition may help you heal and recover from your surgery, whether that's mastectomy with or without immediate reconstruction or whether it's a delayed reconstruction including some of the surgeries that can be, you know, up to 10 hours long, such as the own tissue reconstruction, like Dieppe tug. And also, if you're preparing for revision, the second phase surgery that can take place. 
So, welcome, Teresa. Hello. Thank you for joining Rira and me. Hello, everybody. Thanks so much for um, taking the time out. I know you're extremely busy with work that you're doing and studies that you're doing and research that you're doing. So I'm really grateful that you've been able to join us today. I'm really happy to talk about this very important topic, um, Luanne, because if you prepare yourself adequately for surgery, the outcomes are so much better. Yes, yes, I can attest to that, yeah. And it is something that the audience and our reconstruction community are very keen to hear about because obviously we have our surgeons and the medical and health professionals that are helping to support us and helping us make decisions about uh, what's going to be right for us. But we want to help ourselves too and do what we can to get the best and heal the best that we come from surgery, particularly those um, surgeries that include a donor site. You know, where there's some large incisions and multiple incisions. So why is nutrition so important? We do hear it a lot, and you just said there it, it can help um, with recovery. So when we're talking about wound and tissue healing, you know, why is it so important? Well, the most important thing I think to remember is because you, you see the outside of the wound, but you don't see what's going on in the inside of the wound. And um, any, any injury to the body, whether that's a, a surgical intervention or an accidental injury, does involve the activity of multiple intricate, intricate uh, network of uh, blood vessels and tissue types and um, chemical mediators. They're called cytokines and also growth factors. So the, there's an intensified metabolic demand on the body for nutrients, and that's why nutrition is so incredibly important. And if we go into surgery with nutritional deficiencies, we're going to impact or impede, I should say, wound healing. And several nutritional factors are required for wound repair. And if we get ready for that we're going to improve our healing time and our wound outcomes okay great great thank you so there's there's lots of different uh, points there that I find are really interesting maybe to just unpack a little bit but I think one that I'd like to just flag is that we do try to do that preparation don't we you talked about deficiencies but sometimes it may be that we don't have the opportunity to do that do we so some women um, may have had chemotherapy for instance that can sometimes impact surgery can't it it certainly can, but the um, nutrients that you need can be um, taken from food. We just need to know what they are. So I'm just going to talk to you about what we need to do just before surgery. And this might be um, nutrition or lifestyle factor 101, but the most important thing is, and I know that when people go through surgery or have um, a diagnosis of cancer, they may or may not stop smoking, but smoking really is going to impede the way that we heal. So that's a very important factor. I know it's not nutritional, but lifestyle. Um, and the foremost uh, important factor is protein. So some pa papers suggest that we get enough protein um, prior to surgery and post-surgery because it increases healing. But what is enough protein? Enough protein is about 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. Now, 
to actually get that, I think some people might go on to, you know, a, um, a food tracking website or, you know, have an app for that. But we need to be looking at true protein. And true protein is very different from an actual weight of protein. So to give you an example, if you were eating a steak and it was 100 grams, then the true protein content of that may be somewhere around 20 grams. If you were to have chickpeas, let's say we have a vegetarian or a vegan, and we do a combining of chickpeas and rice, as an example, 100 grams would only yield about 9 grams of true protein. So if we had 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight for somebody who weighs something like 60 kilograms, average female, then we're really looking at something like 400 grams of weight to get that 80 grams of true protein. That's a lot of protein. It is. A couple of ways that you can do that because some people, you know, leading up to surgery may have a little bit of anxiety, may not want to eat so much, but um, we can do that with some protein powders. And, and I'm not adverse to that, providing that they're a high quality protein powder. So protein, uh, vital. And then on top of that, there are some specific nutrients. Vitamin E is very important, but the timing of vitamin E is important. And this is why going to see somebody such as myself or a dietitian, a nutritionist is important. Vitamin E can increase the, um, the benefits to the visual surgical wound, let's say. So it helps with that healing and um, it can help to smooth that wound out. But we need to bear in mind that both, both the vitamin E and vitamin A need to be taken after surgery, possibly about three to four days later when the wound has settled down and the bleeding has settled because vitamin E and A uh, can increase uh, bleeding factors. So they interfere with clotting factors. So three to four days afterwards, uh, vitamin E, where do we find it? We mostly find it in things like avocado, um, the germ of grains, which is a bit hard to find these days, um, nuts and seeds. So easily obtainable. And then vitamin A. Um, vitamin A is beneficial not just to the wound itself, but how the cells model themselves. This is called differentiation. And it, it's how they, um, how the body decides what tissue gets laid down. So rather than having a dense fibrotic tissue, we'll get a, a more malleable, a softer type of tissue in that wound healing, which is, is beneficial, of course, so that you can um, the, the scar itself mm. is not so rigid. Um, and where do you get that? Well, you can get it in two forms. You can get it from meat, animal products, mostly liver. It's very high in liver. Um, and that is the um, retinol, the preformed vitamin A. Very easy to obtain and absorb for a human body. Um, 
But for those people who prefer vegetable sources, then there's retinol. And those are the uh, carotenoids and the beta carotenes. They come from orange and green vegetables, sweet potatoes, spinach, mangoes have it, um, oranges, etc. So those two are um, very necessary as well as vitamin C. But you'll probably find that if you're consuming the uh, beta, carot uh, beta carotenes and the carotenoids, that you're going to get some vitamin C as well. Vitamin C, uh, not a high dose. It doesn't need to be more than a gram a day from the evidence uh, is beneficial for collagen mm. formation, immune function. And if we're concerned about swelling and edema, then some other things that we can include in the diet are actually bromelain, which you get from kiwi fruit and pineapple. And um, bromelain's really good for pain reduction as well. Oh, wow, really? Mm. I did not know yes, this. Yeah, I've never heard of that before. Yes. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, pineapple. It's amazing. Yeah. Pineapple juice would be something that would be very beneficial. Um, and I did forget some herbs okay. but I when I talk about herbs Luann I'm and everybody who's listening uh, you do really need to get some um, professional advice because when you're on certain medications they can interfere with the medications they may wash the medication out of the system or keep the medication in the system so we just need to be a little bit careful with that um, but a couple of herbs that I use in wound healing is Centella asiatica, which is gotcha cola, and aloe vera. Oh, wow. Uh, because they, yes, aloe vera enhances uh, wound repair. And um, it's, it, and Centella stops fibrosis. So that's particularly important when lymph nodes have been taken. Um, to stop that sort of roping that occurs. Um, the, the cording. The cording, yes. Thank you for yeah, that. you're welcome. <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> the cording, I should say. So it's an important herb. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we want to promote that wound healing as quickly and as fast as we can with minimal pain and minimal discomfort and scarring. Yeah. Great, great, thank you. And... Um, to reiterate what Teresa said, uh, we're talking there about um, uh, integrative practitioners, really, who have experience in the oncological space, that if you were looking to take some of those herbs, recommending that you would speak to somebody, somebody like that, really, aren't we? We are, really, because uh, we have to run every herb, uh, not necessarily nutrients because they're occurring in food. But we do run herbs through um, eMIMS, which is a platform that has um, a, a gateway that allows us to pop in a herb and pop in a medication and check that there's no interactions. Yeah. Okay. Great. Great. Thank you. And what I'm loving actually talking uh, around this, Teresa, with you is that, you know, we had a chat beforehand about what we might, the talking points that we might had. And I think mine were very much coming from that patient what kind of food should I be eating? But really what we're talking about is what 
what we want to be getting from the food. And you're you're bringing it from the other other side of it, saying, well, we've got the protein, vitamin, vitamin A, vitamin C, and bromelain. Now, what are the foods that can give us that? So it's a bit of an education, really, for patients, isn't it? It really is. Um, and when we look at our everyday diet, I and I mention to people, well, would you consider some organic liver? They look at me as if I've come from outer space because no, nobody tends to eat that type of food anymore. But those organ meats, if they're organic and they're clean, can be very beneficial yeah. for healing. Yeah. Um, and liver in particular, you can imagine and I imagine this, that if you're in surgery and it's 10 hours, quite a lot of blood loss. Yeah. So the most potent form of organic iron comes from liver. Right. So an example of that is if you ate 100 grams steak, you would get about 8 milligrams of, liver, of um, iron, um, but if you ate 100 grams of liver, and there's lots of good ways to, to cook mm. it, uh, mm. although I don't like it, but I'm just putting it out <laughs> there. Some people like it. Um, that uh, you would get 40 milligrams. Wow. So there's quite a difference. Yeah, yeah, it's quite a difference there. Mm. And actually, I think in the episode mm. notes, I might put a link into by Rosie. Rosie, um, she's a nutritionist, um, but she also uh, puts together lots of recipes and she does include liver in that and how to get liver into the diet in a bit of a sneaky way if it's not quite your thing. So I'll, I'll add Rosie oh. in there. Um, but it is, it's starting to look at the foods, isn't it? You know, like looking at an avocado, but you know, it's looking at it and seeing that's vitamin E there. That's what we need to be having. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And it, yes. and um, talking about the ten-hour surgeries then, or any surgery really, as well as we've got the wound healing and the tissue healing, um, there's the anaesthetic, isn't there? And I think sometimes because surgeries, you know, some surgeries I've got shorter. The ten-hour ones are quite quite long. Um, but sometimes with having such a short time, sometimes in hospital, we can underestimate, can't we, the impact that anaesthetic or general anaesthetic can have on the body. Is there anything that we can do to help support ourselves through that? Yes. So the the most important thing is being well hydrated, but being very well hydrated post-surgery and potentially to add some electrolytes into the mix as well. And um, when I talk about electrolytes, I don't mean coconut water. I'm sorry to say. Okay, it sounds very nice. It, it's one of those things that people say, oh, you know, coconut water, it's got everything you need. It doesn't. Okay, so um, you can make up your own little mix of electrolytes. It's a little bit tricky, but there are so many good electrolytes that you can purchase from pharmacies and health foods uh, stores. And if you're concerned about the sugar intake or the glucose intake, there are low carbohydrate electrolytes as well. And um, some of them are made from stevia, which means that they don't impact any of the blood glucose levels. And that's an important factor in healing. And um, they're not made from um, things like aspartame or malitol, um, which can actually affect your bowel and make it a little bit loose. Mm. So the stevia electrolytes are the ones that I normally suggest. But in terms of what helps the anesthesia move through the body, it is movement. Mm. 
So if you think about this for one moment, um, musculature and the lymphatic system can only be squeezed and emptied in movement. If you are stagnant, then it's not going to happen. So when they get you out of bed after surgery, which they tend to do as soon as possible, um, think about it as a way of detoxifying the body. Mm. Think about it as a way of removing the anesthesia, putting the correct hydration in there and um, squeezing it through the system and through the kidneys and through the liver. The anesthesia, anesthesia does go through past the or through the blood brain barrier. Now, that's not such an issue, but if you've had multiple surgeries, then it possibly is. Not saying it happens to everybody, but um, choline and anisetol, um, phosphatidylserine, which you can get in things like soy in particular, and again, liver and eggs, um, helps to repair the mechanisms in the brain that add fat to the brain and help to repair the brain after surgery. So that's something else that we could consider. Okay, great. Thank you. And you mentioned bowel movements there. Now, one of the <laughs> one of the side effects yeah. <laughs> of um, of surgery and the drugs that may be given is um, is constipation after surgery, um, which is not is not fun for anybody. But if you've had um, a surgery that's involved involves multiple incisions, particularly if we're looking around the donor sites for those autologous um, reconstructions that can be a real concern, you know, that you're going to burst your stitches. Um, what can, is there anything we can do to prepare before surgery? But then I'm thinking particularly as well after surgery, you know, when we're in hospital, are there food choices that we can make in hospital either from what's on the list? Dates always seem to be um, on the list. Um, or if there's any little snacks that we can take that could help. So there's a lot of talk about FODMAPs. You would have heard about fructo, oligo, di, mono, uh, saccharides and polyols, FODMAP foods. Um, they do cause a bit of wind and bloating, I must admit, and some people leave them out of their diet, but boy, they're good when it comes to constipation. Mm. So, um, And also um, fruit that is really ripe. Right. So the riper it is, if we've got a banana that's about to go brown, the um, fructose content is incredibly high. And the fructose helps to draw water into the bowel, um, and that helps the bowel to evacuate because we need fluid in the bowel. Um, kiwi fruit, when it's about to go, when it gets that really lovely sweetness, um, absolutely brilliant. I prefer that because it's the whole fruit rather than a date or a fig because they're dehydrated most of the time. Oh, right. So that water content yeah. is more important than anything. And with the whole fruit, of course, you've got both of those. Um, and um, we need to prevent dehydration as best we can. And um, coffee doesn't necessarily uh, dehydrate you, but it isn't the best thing to drink mm. post-surgery. So temporarily stopping drinking coffee and tea and caffeinated drinks is a good idea and just sticking with water. 
Um, fiber itself. I, I'm always a bit nervous about putting fiber into a bowel that has not moved or is stagnant because of anesthesia and, um, and bed rest. I prefer to sort of say, look, you know, just a medium fiber diet, which is what you get in hospital anyway. I wouldn't start with um, Sultana bran or anything like that. Ripe fruit, lots of vegetables, and just, you know, the medium fiber diet. Of course, you know, we can have other fruits, um, pears and, and rehydrated prunes are really good. And prune juice is actually very good. Um, so they're, um, they do help the bowel, but they're not laxative. So I like that gentle approach. Um, and if that doesn't work, then my next step would be to, you know, for somebody who's in hospital to talk to the staff about a stool softener. This is different from a laxative. That just softens everything up if it's been um, sitting in the bowel and is hardened. It just gets it nice and soft. It makes it easier to pass. And failing that, we would move to laxatives. But they're last minute because, you know, if you've had surgery and you're straining or you're, you're sitting there with explosive bowel motions, that's really unpleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if possible, but it's hard because, you know, particularly with breast surgery, you, you don't want to be, and I'm, excuse me for being graphic here, but you don't want to be moving around trying to insert a suppository. No. Because the glycerin suppositories are also really good. Um, but they, when they're inserted, must stay there for a you. You have to stay there for a while. Um, if you can, hold them for 10, 20 minutes, and then you've got to leap out of bed mm, to, yeah. to get to the toilet. So they're the last line. Um, lots of hospitals allow you to take food in, and some of the private hospitals will have yogurt, as an example, in the fridge. So eating things like yogurt, kefir, um, very beneficial to soothe the gastrointestinal tract and, and help to replenish some of the um, microbiome that's been disturbed by not just the anesthesia itself, but also the antibiotics, which must be given um, during surgery. If somebody's taking iron um, prior to surgery or post-surgery, then it needs to be a certain type of iron. Um, because some irons will cause more constipation. So, and movement, yes. of course. Yes, I was going to say, like movement promotes movement, if you will. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. Fluid and, you know, fluid intake, water intake and movement yeah. to the most important. Yeah, and it's kind of one of the last things that you might feel like you want to do actually after such, and particularly long surgeries. But they do try and encourage you to get moving. Obviously, it's all down to your team. They'll they'll know when they're going to be asking you to do that. But really, try and go with with their recommendations, even though you can feel absolutely dreadful. Mm. And you know, you've always got uh, your your Louis Vuitton handbag of a um, 
a, a drip yeah. and, uh, and sometimes a drain and then sometimes a catheter. Yeah. And that's, that's just really hard to move mm. around. But, mm. you know, if you can manage all three or two and just do a little waddle down the corridor, yeah. nobody's looking and nobody cares, honestly. Um, it's a really good idea. Yeah. Great, great. And some great tips to get, you know, to to trying to resolve the constipation before you get to the point of needing the laxative. Because like you said, if you do have a drip, um, maybe a catheter, I don't know if that would still be in, but, you know, drains, trying to get to the bathroom really quickly is, is really, really difficult. Mm. So some great, um, great tips there. Um, I want to go back to coffee. So we were talking about coffee there. <laughs> so I, we were talking about coffee there in relation to um, into bowel movements. But I know uh, um, the, I had autologists own tissue reconstruction Dieppe where part of my tummy was taken to reconstruct my breasts. And a lot of what I read around that time was was about not drinking coffee, but not, not necessarily with regards to bowel movements, but more about the wound healing that potentially coffee okay. could... Um, could Im- impact that is 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 that is that true <laughs> um partially true and it would depend on how much you drank because um there's a pathophysiological process that occurs when you drink coffee and coffee incites adrenaline um long-term adrenaline um promotion by coffee drinking will reduce your body's own cortisol uh, factors which will reduce your inflammatory factors so if that's reduced then the body doesn't sort of produce enough inflammatory mediators to start bringing in all the other chemicals to help with wound healing so it's better left out and by the way i hate to say it but that includes dark chocolate <gasps> <laughs> just taking all the fun out of it <laughs> Well, you can have some, you can have milk chocolate because it's very low in caffeine. Um, But, you know, none of the energy drinks, which quite a few people tend to rely on after surgery because of the fatigue levels, but don't do it. And um, if you've never tried carob, it, I personally love it. I may have slightly weird taste, but um, carob doesn't have any caffeine in it. Um, so that's another possibility. And there's some really good carobs out there. As, that is um, a drink, isn't it? Sort of, no, it's a chocolate. Oh, sorry. It's, well, it's a chocolate-like flavour, let's say. Okay. Um, because pe- many of my patients have said, no, it doesn't taste anything like chocolate. Um, but I think it has a sort of a chocolatey flavour. And you might have seen some of the little bears there, um, you know, in supermarkets and the little small bears um, that are on the counters as you go out through the checkouts and they're made out of, they say, carob bear or something like that. Um, give them a try. Yeah. Um, they have lecithin in them, which is actually um, really beneficial for healing as well. Okay. Most chocolate and carob does have lecithin in it. Okay, great. Thanks. So, listeners, yeah, try the carob um, chocolate-like bears. Um and let us know what you think and give us uh, some feedback or some of your tips for chocolate alternatives. Um, what, what about, um, you know, caffeine-free coffee? Does that still have a bit of caffeine in it? You know, is that, or would that yes, be a good choice, does. do you think? Or 
Um, no, I, it's a great choice. Yeah. You can do caffeine-free okay. coffee. But, you know, if you're addicted to caffeine and, you know, you suddenly come off caffeine, you got, you will get a headache. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's best to go off it a couple of days before surgery. You can take your own decaffeinated tea, decaffeinated green tea, decaffeinated um, coffee, it has about 3% as opposed to, or, you know, three grams of, of caffeine as opposed to 80. So, yeah. And that's a great a tiny bit in there. A tiny bit in there, but nothing that would be um, of a concern for that. No. The same as a fully, full, fully caffeinated. Um, and that's a really great tip, mm. actually, to come off a, a few days before, I think. And, you know, it's a really. Um, popular discussion topic in some of the forum groups and to come off it yeah because you don't want to be having that withdrawal headache on top of recovering from surgery anesthetic and and everything else that goes with that and then you have a, a withdrawal headache as well so it's a really great tip to do that beforehand is there is there anything else you would suggest avoided sort of a, a, around that time either before or immediately after surgery Immediately uh, before, definitely hydration again um, and coming off coffee, keeping that protein up. And if you are able to, if you haven't had um, adjuvant therapy with chemotherapy or radiotherapy, then it's important to still do your exercise right up until that time. And coming out of surgery straight away, Obviously, first of all, you're going to be nil by mouth until everybody's checked you out. And then when you can eat, it's good to start with yogurt and, and just fruit and vegetables and gently ease yourself back into normal eating, perhaps for a day, and then start on getting the protein levels up again. Right. Um, because that's going to accelerate your healing and you'll go home earlier. According to the studies, you know, it can be up to, it depends on how long you're in there, but up to three to four, and in some cases, 10 days mm. in major surgeries earlier. Great, great. Thank you. And when we, when we, um, when we come, come home after surgery, there is still that longer tail impact, isn't there? Obviously, there's the wound healing mm. that you've talked about and what can, we can eat at home and what we can build into our diet for that. And we've talked about constipation, but also just thinking about the fatigue, because that can be, and especially if you have had, well, if you're, you know, you've got, treat, you've had treatment beforehand, um, you know, you could be at the tail end of some of that fatigue that's around there as well. Is there anything we can do to help support um, the, our energy or our fatigue, feeling fatigued? Yeah, and I'd just like to pop back to the previous point in, in um, what do you do sort of before surgery. Um, the time before surgery, if possible, in preparing your protein, getting your nutrient levels up, is somewhere between two to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. Eight weeks is, yeah, eight weeks. And same with post-operative. Mm -hmm. So, you're really looking at about, um, you know, four months, mm. two months lead in, two months after. Mm. Um, but uh, one study suggests that a three-week period might be sufficient um, to obtain a, a moderate gain in health. And But 
you really want to get your muscle reserve, your muscle strength reserve, and your aerobic capacity up prior to going in for surgery. Um, so that that's an important part. But I don't want people to go, oh goodness, you know, I've only got oh, two weeks. Yeah. You know, two weeks is better than no weeks. Yeah. Um, so going back to fatigue, the the more muscle mass you have going in, will determine the fatigue level post okay so there are a couple of things of course there's nutritional repletion um, and malnutrition before surgery so you know important to get healthy before but muscle mass is incredibly important and if if some people when i'm talking to some people who just don't have that opportunity in the leading you know eight weeks they've got maybe a three-week period then I will use um, a supplement like uh, creatine in the lead up to surgery because it does increase muscle mass. We know that. I can't take it all the way up to the date. And that's why, you know, it's good to talk to somebody like myself or other um, people in this, um, in this profession in integrative um, therapies, but um, there are some good brands that I would suggest as well. And I've done quite a lot of, I won't say research because I haven't done a literature review on it, but let's say some in-depth searching around it. So um, moving the minute you come out of surgery up to the level that you've been told you can um, and there's also a supplement called CoQ10, ubiquinol or ubiquinone. Now, um, there's no sort of, it's not woo-woo, it's evidence-based that it can help cardiac function. It can increase the amount of energy that goes into something called an electron transport chain. What is that? It's a fancy word for... Um, increase the amount of potential energy that you have inside your cells. So instead of feeling flat, you know, if some if a robber climbed in through the window and you're like, no, nah, no, can't do anything about that one, um, it would give you that sort of stored energy that would allow you to move quickly. Yeah. Um, and um, the beneficial time is somewhere between five to seven days after surgery and possibly for a three-month period after surgery. OQ10, very important. And um, just supporting that mechanism, uh, enabling our body to get um, energy out of food. We might want to do mixed grains to get the B vitamins, but I would put a sort of caveat on that in that if you have a mixed grain bread, it's very unlikely to carry all of the B vitamins that you need mm -hmm. because they wash the grain before they cook it. Okay. And B vitamins are water-soluble. So, so yeah. yeah, so buying those those seeds and nuts, yeah, so they're not washed in the same way, in the way if you bought them in a packet as what they would be if they're included in the bread. Absolutely. So nuts and seeds and um, whole grains, whole grain, whole meal, um, bread um, is probably the best way that you're going to get that, um, that B vitamin. The other addition is nutritional yeast. 
So if you don't fancy doing CoQ10 or CoQ10 is out of your price range, um, then some nutritional yeast, which is, or brewer's yeast, but nobody likes the taste of that one. So, <laughs> so it's really not very nice. So it's nutritional yeast, what mm. sometimes use, vegans use as a sprinkling. Yes. yes. Okay, so it has yes. that bit of a marmy kind of cheese-like taste. <laughs> It's cheese, yeah, it's cheese-like. It's actually really yeah. nice in mac and cheese rather than cheese. Mm-hmm. You know, if you put a bit of um, whatever milk that you like and a bit of the uh, nutritional yeast through um, your, your macaroni, um, it, it's quite nice. And I often cook that from my um, vegan and vegetarian friends and they like it. Yeah. And that's really interesting as well, talking about that as well as the seeds and nuts that you're talking about, that some of these, um, some of what you're advising isn't necessarily these huge changes, but a sprinkle of the seeds and nuts that might be on a salad, if, you know, obviously if you uh, you can tolerate them, um, that can be what can just lift and elevate what you're eating, can't it, in those simple little changes? It's surprising, really. If you do a software in, um, analysis of people's diets, they're generally not that far behind the RDI and the recommended daily intake. But just adding a little bit of what we've talked about today would be generally sufficient to get you up to that level and um, to avoid that sort of long-term malnutrition, again, starting as early as you can, as soon as you know. Um, But I would also like to say, Luanne, that... um, Those with neoadjuvant treatment, perhaps before surgery, where they're having chemotherapy and they really just don't feel like eating nuts and seeds and healthy salads and so on and so forth, then, you know, there's nothing wrong with taking a food grade multivitamin to help the food and to help the body. Um, And there's plenty of really good green powders that are chock full of bioavailable nutrients. And we can just add that um, to a smoothie, let's say. Great, great. Yeah. And running it by, as we said again earlier, the integrative practitioner and just checking in with regards to all their their meds that they might be taking. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Thank you. So that's, we're thinking there of prehab not just in I mean you mentioned movement and exercise and obviously that's important but we're talking now prehab aren't we for nutrition and food and prehab and rehab yes it needs to include yes because we tend to associate it just with exercise but actually it's about your nutrition and food choices as well that's a really great way of thinking about it Mm, definitely and um you know there is a lovely resource which you might want to post and it's very simple to have a look at. Um, It's on the health.gov.au and um, food and nutrition about eating well. Okay, great. And it's nice. It's it's visual. Um, Anybody can access it. It talks about eating brightly colored vegetables and getting the right amount of protein and that sort of thing. Um, So, yeah, I would certainly say if you if it's not within your permit to be able to go and visit somebody um, and you don't have time, then you can always go onto that government website. Great, great. Yeah, and um, take that out shopping with you. You know that sometimes, isn't it? It's when you're out there and you're 
overwhelmed with all the choice and forget what you were told or what you read at home. It's good that you can access when you're out and about. That's a great resource um, to have. Is there any other resources that you would recommend or any other tips that you would recommend for for people who are listening, who are either going in for surgery or, um, you know, they're just, they're post-surgery even, and they're wanting just to support themselves? Yeah, so a website like that, um, if you're curious about how much of a nutrient you're getting on a daily basis, and I think we kid ourselves a lot of the time about how much fiber we're getting in our diet and how much protein we're getting, um, there are lots of apps around that you can look at, and and they're free. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of my students um, use you know, suggest to their patients to have um, my fitness pal. I don't work for them, nothing to do with them, but um, it is something that's just cheap, easy to use um, rather than pay for something that's going to measure your nutrient intake. Um, but I would say what definitely helped me when I was going through surgery was trying to use breathing techniques, mindfulness, meditation. Not everybody can meditate, but just being mindful because what that does is it reduces that that stimulatory effect that prevents you from healing well. So you want to be able to deep breathe and box breathing. um, Medline has a really good resource for uh, box breathing Um, and a word on that because again patients have said to me I did that it didn't do anything and I said ah but did did you do 50 50 five zero box breaths because it sometimes takes us 50 box breaths to go from I'm so frightened I'm so worried to that really peaceful And take up the um, invitation that is given to most people to have counselling because this this is a difficult time for a lot of people and friends can be um, interesting and you're going to notice that as time goes on. And having counselling helps us to, with the tools, to be able to... um, navigate the, the the little bombs that go off and um and what what is going to happen in the future yeah great great tips yeah and um yeah the, I didn't know the 50 was the number for the square box breathing at all I think I might be one of those people who have been going <laughs> this isn't working <laughs> so that's great and yeah no, absolutely the counseling I access counseling after my diagnosis and I I still see my, um, my my psych, not as regularly as I used to, but I still do have a check-in um, now. And I think it's, you know, an important part of uh, of our well-being, isn't it? A pillar of health that and we need to be talking about it more as well. So thank you for sharing that as well, Teresa. Mm. I just wanted to add there that, you know, we're it's a very different world. So once upon a time we had family priests and aunties and uncles and extended family and that just isn't there so counsellors it's great 
great stuff. Yeah. And there are counsellors, aren't they, that specialise in oncology as well. So, uh, and the Cancer they Council are. have some great support there. I will put um, a link into the Cancer Council in the episode notes for anybody who wants to, who wants to check that out. They do have some free resources as well. And your GP will be able to help you with that as well with a um, mental health um, uh, uh, I want to say pack and that's not the right word sorry my, my words have gone but talk to your please talk to your to your GP um, if you feel that you need that support and there's a helpline I'll put out at the end of the episode as well so yeah thank you so much um, Teresa that's I feel like we've only touched like the the tip of the iceberg there but I'm hoping um, and I just know that the community will find what you've talked about absolutely invaluable and I think one of the key messages as well that you said you know we can do what we can can't we there's no shoulds given you know we try and do what no. we can when we can and don't and whatever you do don't you know be shoulding yourself and blaming yourself if you just can't do all of the above yeah yeah you just relax do the box breathing yeah. start with the box breathing yeah. that's it Start 50 box months. breathing. I feel like that's almost like a 50 reps of the box breathing. But yes, <laughs> that's right. Oh, thank you so much. Great tips, great information, evidence-based information as always, which is where we're at. Um, so thank you so much again. Um, listeners may know that at the end of each episode, I do ask guests to share with us a lyric or lines of poetry that means something to them or to the topic that they've been talking about or because the rewritten me um, title of the podcast is a flip on unwritten, um, a song that meant a lot to me during my treatment. So I asked Teresa if she wanted to share something with us and she's come up with some beautiful lines. So I wondered if you wanted to read those out, Teresa, and tell us where they come from. Oh, lovely. Guess what? I don't know where I put them. No, that's all right. <laughs> Shall I read them? Uh, yes, if you don't mind. Okay, no worries. So here we go. These are Teresa's beautiful, beautiful lines that she's sharing with us. There are days when the light flickers and then I remember I am the light and I go in and I switch it back on. So where's that from? Beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. Yes, um, it's from a uh, very um, prolific female writer and um, she does. A, she talks a lot about um, her personal journey, and you know, times where things haven't been that great, and just to remember that the chaos around you is not you. You can actually manage yourself and the way that you think, and that's why it was. It was so important to me because. I would find sometimes that my mind would go down in a spiral and I would get a bit shaky and then I would think to myself, okay, all right, so this is a bit wobbly, but um, I'm not going to let that mind take over. I'm going to change that mindset and I'm going to bring that life back into me and that's why that those lines resonate. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much and I feel that they'll resonate with so many of our listeners too because um, it can be a very shaky wobbly dark hole sometimes you feel like you're on the precipice but you have the option yes. to bring some light to it and step back thank you so much Teresa. i love chatting to you i could chat for hours and hours but i know you're particularly busy um thank you so much um 
I really do appreciate you um, sharing your story with us, sharing all your uh, expertise with us and and, uh, joining us today. Um, What have you got on for the rest of the day? I'm sure you're doing something fabulous in research or something. Yes, I am. So I'm completing a PhD in uh, the low fibre diet in high output ostomy patients and how that affects the quality of life. So this kind of touches on what we were talking about today. There's quite a few people who uh, are in hospital and come out from surgery and don't know what to do with nutrition with disastrous effects, particularly in stoma patients. The stoma is an external bag for the defecation. So I am doing the research to shine a light on this in uh, a mixed method study um, so that we can hear the voice of the stoma patient. Great, great. And yeah, absolutely. I have a number of friends on Instagram who have stomas and I know that that is definitely something that, um, you know, while they have had some support, you know, when you come home and you're there on your own, it is very scary and uh, trying to work out what's right. And yeah, it can it can have disastrous effects sometimes. So, wow, that sounds fascinating. I look forward to hearing more more about that. So thank you again for joining us today welcome thank you so thanks everybody for listening um it's always um great to know that we have a community out there that are interested in the topics that we're talking about and please do let me know if there are any other topics that you'd like me to cover or get guests for rewritten me is an independent patient advocate initiative and your help in increasing its reach to help support more women would be greatly appreciated so if you've enjoyed this episode or the other episodes please follow, subscribe, share, rate and review whatever you need to do to get the word out there so that we can help support women make a decision that's right for them when they have a reconstruction after a mastectomy. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Camaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au. Or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.